0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, welcome to C4 this morning. How are you this morning? Oh, how are you this morning? There we go. Good morning to you. So glad that you're here. Good morning to all of you watching and listening online up north in Port Perry and online and at the many, many cottages that you're already visiting. We say good morning to you. We live in a world where we are bombarded by advertising. Everywhere you go, every moment of every day, we are surrounded by the act of advertising, and we are guaranteed things all the time. If you take this one pill. We guarantee that you will lose 20 pounds in two weeks. Guaranteed. We guarantee if you buy this one pair of shoes, every person on earth will think you're the most sexy, epic person if you just buy these shoes. Every single time we hear this, we wonder, could this be true? By this piece of exercise equipment, and suddenly you will have the body of a Greek god. By this one kitchen item, it will make you an iron chef, and you'll lose weight, and you'll attract a spouse, all in seven days, and it's so amazing, we'll give you another one for a dollar if you call now. If you get the right education, we guarantee you a job. And so we enter into this as a culture, and we hear the word guarantee, and the word guarantee is certain. It's definite. It's sure. It's surefire. It's failsafe. It's assured. It's in the bag. And here's how the process begins. We enter in hopefully and expectant. And then things don't work out as was necessarily promised, so we move then to questioning. And then from questioning, we move to frustration. And frustration, we move to skepticism. And skepticism, we, li- we begin to live out of the place called jadedness. Why? Because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't like being lied to. And we want our expectations to be right and on point and realistic. Now, the reason why I bring this up this morning is it's the same for faith. Wrong expectations can shipwreck a faith or see a faith flourish. So as we get going this morning, here's the question that I want to pose to our whole extended family. Is there any real guarantees in our faith on this side of heaven? Oh, yes. Last year at Easter, we, we walked through, or two Easter's ago, we walked through the Smoke and Mirrors series where we wrestled through, is there historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and found out actually there's more than most realize, and so there is guarantee about our resurrection. But on this side of resurrection, is there any guarantee? And if there are guarantees, are our expectations out of those guarantees right, wrong, balanced, imbalanced, See, as I've preached so many times, if you have wrong expectations, when things go differently than you expect, you then must conclude, whether you're a seeker, skeptic, or Christian, that God is a liar, God cannot be trusted, I did something, someone else did something wrong, or all of this is just a sham. So as we walk with Jesus in our life, and we walk with Jesus in our house, and with our kids, or with our friends, and at work, and on Friday night at a restaurant in the middle of church, as we supposedly if you're a christian here this morning want to become more fully devoted the question we must all ask in the middle of all of this is are there guarantee places of encounter if i walk as a christian in certain environments if i do certain practices or i'm in a certain place will i always find god and is that a right expectation now the answer by the way is a resounding yes Though God who is uncreated is omnipresent, that means he is everywhere, there are places according to the scriptures where God always comes close, always is relationally found, and an encounter is guaranteed every single time. Now the first place of encounter might not be where you think I would begin. The very first guaranteed place of encounter is actually the good news about Jesus, Paul, years after he'd become a Christian, wrote this in Romans chapter 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, first for Jews, then non-Jews. Now, that word power in that verse is where we get our modern word dynamite from. The gospel, he says, the literal story and good news of Jesus has literal sheer power. It is dynamic. It is the place where the Holy Spirit brings the whole of God the Father's work, that is his calling, and the whole of Jesus's work, past, present, and future, into effect within life by his spirit. Though I struggle a lot many times with John MacArthur and what he says, I love when he got this, when he said, the gospel carries the omnipotence of God, whose power alone is sufficient to save people from sin and give eternal life. See, the Holy Spirit is always around, is always above, is always below, is always behind, is always in the middle, is, the always, is always the one giving the good news. No matter if someone says yes to the gospel of Jesus, every time the gospel of Jesus is uttered, God is guaranteed there to meet someone. Now, the second place of guarantee is this. It's the Scripture's. The Bible is always a guaranteed place of encountering God and, of course, his people finding him. The Holy Spirit is always present, is always overshadowing these words. As the author of Hebrews once wrote, God's word is powerful. It's like sharp, like a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Remember Paul's simple description of the Bible when he said in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God breathed out, God breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit is always about leading us into all of God's truth. The holy faith passed down, and as I've preached so many times this year, and where are Jesus' teachings found? And where are all of God's stories and thoughts and where are all of God's revelations and promises and commands found? Where is the apostolic teaching found? It's found in the scripture, the Bible, God's written word. The Holy Spirit not only leads us and teaches us, he actually is the author of the scriptures. As I've preached this year, there might be 66 books and numerous authors from numerous backgrounds, but behind all those authors, there is actually one author. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and speak to us through and form us by the scriptures. The spirit of God is called the spirit of truth. Now, if you reject the scriptures, you end up rejecting its divine authorship and the author himself. And if you start hearing people Say, especially in church circles, things like, Well, Jesus didn't talk about that, or Paul got that wrong, or Moses wasn't fully informed. Run. Because the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, is the Spirit of Jesus, and Jesus reveals the Father. So actually, if the Father used the Spirit to breathe out this book, when James wrote something, or Jude, or Moses, or Jeremiah, or Solomon, or John, or Luke, or Paul, when any of them spoke about anything, Jesus has talked about it, because Jesus is God, and this always is his book. The image in my mind is that the Holy Spirit is always hovering over the scripture, pointing, speaking, illuminating, and you can never divorce the written word from the living word spirit, and you can never understand the scriptures without the author himself, John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll lead you into all truth. That, by the way, is why the spiritual discipline of study matters so much. As Jesus said in John eight thirty two, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I remember years ago, Calvin Miller wrote these epic words. It was sort of like a mic drop in its moment. He said, mystics without study are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without the effort. Oh, you didn't. Yes, he did. In other words, you can have all the charismatic experience you want. But if you're not grounding yourself in the scriptures, you're a fool. Because God's word, when it's studied and applies, keeps us on track no matter what our experiences are. That's why God has provided this book for us. And that's why we need in the middle of a real ongoing revival or everyday normal Christian life is a constant study and preaching and practicing on the Holy Scriptures. And here's what the guarantee is in the Scripture. When you open the Scriptures and you open them expectantly, you will meet the author every single time guaranteed. The third place of guaranteed encounter with our God I just mentioned is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the only ongoing place of transformation to hear God and know God post-conversion. That is after you've met God through Jesus exclusively. Spiritual practices, holy habits, keep your relationship with God healthy and right and balanced after you've said yes and accepted Jesus by faith alone, through grace alone, through Jesus alone. Jesus himself, remember, used them to walk with the Father. So to be like Jesus, you need to walk like Jesus did. You actually need to adopt his spiritual discipline lifestyle. They provide the ongoing dynamic experience and our static positional reality with God. They actually help to close the holiness problem we have in churches. That is living a right life. They give us the right script to actually understand how we walk in holiness and it allows us to experience spiritual growth. There's so many, I've mentioned them before. Simplicity, confession, prayer, fasting, service, solitude, study, silence, just to name a few. These are the guaranteed environments that after you know God through Jesus, when you walk into those expectantly, you will find God himself every single time. Now, the fourth area of guaranteed encounter is spiritual gifts. Because they're the only, and let me clarify this, the only ongoing, you need to circle that word, especially if you've been with us for the, for a while in this church, they're the only ongoing guaranteed place of heaven-given power to serve God from. Gifts are related to doing things for God where the fruit of the Spirit is actually about our character. And as we've talked so many times, it doesn't matter how gifted you are or what gifts the Spirit has given you. Character always before gift. Humility always before gift. We will never have all 21, but we are called to have the fruit of the Spirit together. Anyone want to say amen to that? We believe that Jesus himself used spiritual gifts, and that is why Jesus is not just Savior and Lord. He's also model for what a normal Christian life looks like communally together. And as we've preached in this church for years, natural gifts and learned abilities are excellent and needed and can be used for the kingdom of God, but they are not guaranteed places of ongoing power, nor by the way are our programs or our leadership models, because actually though those are all good, the spirit of God is always showing up in one place and it's through gifts. 1 Corinthians 12:11, all these gifts are the work of the one and the same holy spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. See, the Holy Spirit's presence is guaranteed every time we use our God-given gifts because actually he's the one who gives them, and every time we go to use them, he has to show up because he's the gas for the tank for the car to go. If actually he never shows up, the gift was never there in the first place. That's why actually gifts actually is a more important conversation than programs. As Romans writes, and Paul writes in Romans 12, 3, For it is by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Oh, there's the character piece. But rather you think with yourself, think about yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. We should see ourselves through what gifts we've been given, and even the differing strengths and authority of those gifts. And since expectations can kill and grieve faith and ministry over time, we must continue to challenge ourselves not to spend our life trying to be something God has never equipped us to be. Nor actually being jealous if someone else has an expression we do not have. And the reverse is also true. Do not expect others to be or become something God has actually not called them or gifted them to be in. If you continually do this side-looking, you always end up angry, bitter, and disappointed because your views aren't actually heaven's views. But here's the critical thing that I want to say today to bring clarity. Yet when we together, humbly, pursuing the character of God, walk together under the Spirit of God, and we explore over a long period of time what our gifts could be, we will always end up meeting the giver of the gifts every single time. See, some of you have already now got into this this terrible sinful habit where you're saying, well, I can't do that because that's not my gift. And now here's my new response. How do you know unless you try? What we have to do is explore and see over time and see where the Spirit of God says, ah, in community, we affirm that. So the Holy Scriptures is a guaranteed place of encounter with God every single time, and so is the good news, and so is spiritual disciplines if you are a follower of Jesus, and so is spiritual gifts. Now the question is, are there other guaranteed places of encounter with our God that lead to transformation and hearing and life change? And are some of them actually stemming from above? And the answer is yes. Another very profound place of encounter is gathered worship. Some of you might remember I was preaching in this space about this very environment over a year ago. And I made the following statement. I said what happens when we gather and worship? I mean, what's really happening when we sing together? Or we give or we read the scriptures together or we're preached. We hear preaching. Honestly, sometimes for us it's boring. Don't say that this morning. It's boring. Sometimes we feel inspired. Sometimes we feel nothing at all. A thousand things affect all of us before we walk into any church service. The personality of the preacher or the music style or the loud or softness of the song or what my day was like or my week or the children screaming at each other in the minivan before you walked into Jesus' house or fill in the blank. There's a thousand things that affect my experience as I walk in here this morning. But C4, here's what I said. If we want over the long haul to be marked by passionate encounter-like worship, then we must actually accept and believe what the Bible is saying is happening in this environment when we use our voices and draw near to God. See, 10 minutes ago when we were singing, we actually drew near to God himself and entered into the place where angels fear to tread. If it is genuine worship in our hearts this morning, then we actually walked right into the holy place of God. Actually, here's how the Bible describes the environment we were just in when we were being led and worshiped here and in the north. It says in Hebrews 10, 9, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... We walk into that environment every time we gather in this worship service and every worship service. See, here's what we've got to understand. No matter what the service looks like, whether it's small or large, whether the production is great or every person in the room is singing off key, What does the real environment truly encompass, whether it's in a cathedral or a house church, they're using bells and smells, or they're speaking in tongues, or they're singing traditional hymns, or new hymns in courses, whether it's loud or soft, traditional, transitional, contemporary, or whatever the other category is. See, when we gather together and we worship as Christians, here is what takes place. We walk into a guaranteed place of encounter that no other human being on earth that does not know Jesus can walk into. We walk into Revelation chapter 5. When I looked and I heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that was in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. See, this is not just metaphor or poetic license alone. When we sing and when we gather, we enter into God's very holy presence with every single angel that is loyal to him. And all that have already died who are now followers of Christ and met him in heaven, all that are with Jesus, we entered into the place that if we did not have Jesus's covering by his blood, we would all die because of his holiness. At this moment right now, do you know you're in the presence of God? Do you actually believe this right now that as we gather here, whether you feel it or not, we are in Revelation 5 environment at this moment? And here's the great challenge for all of us. Like I said a year ago, if this is true, do we prepare ourselves to walk into this environment? Whether you feel it or not right now, God is among us and we are in the holy place of God. Would we sing differently? Would we give differently? Would you prepare for Sunday worship differently? Would you pray differently? If you read Revelation 5 before you came to church and simply uttered the words to yourself, I am about to enter into that guaranteed place of encounter, and I am about to meet the author of my life and the author of my faith and the author of the universe, and I am going to enter in with every faithful Christian who's ever existed, and I'm going to enter in with Gabriel and Michael and every angel that is loyal, and in this moment, whether I feel chills or not, I am going to come and meet the living God of heaven and earth. Would that change how you prepare for Sunday? And not only that, think about what actually Jesus's brother says in James 4.8, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. What does Psalm 22 says? It actually says that God inhabits, lives in the praises of his people. God resides in worship. Worship in a corporate way, gathered, as a gathering is a guaranteed place of meeting God. God is everywhere, but in times of worship, when people truly come on the inside, truly ready to meet him, they're prepared and ready and they seek him, he moves from omnipresence to palpability, he moves from sovereignty to providence, he comes and sits with his people who he loves. By the way, it's not just worship services, it's in connect groups too. Why? Because one of the most radical things that Christianity ever introduced under the world seed of religion is this that actually you do not need buildings to find God anymore. God has decided to make human beings his building. I was watching a major National Geographic documentary on Jerusalem last night or two nights ago, and watching all these people come to all these environments to meet the living God. And I was struck when I was watching this, how absolutely radical and profound and shocking what Paul wrote during the time where the temple was still probably built, when he said these words in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to Christians, both Jews and non-Jews, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you've received from God? You're not your own anymore. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He writes this most likely when the temple was still being used in Jerusalem, and he writes this as an Orthodox Jew. He says that when we get together as Christians, when two or three, to use the old word, fellowship together... God is as much there as he was in the Holy of Holies when the high priest would walk in once a year on the Day of Atonement. There is more encounter happening now in humanity with God than ever before, because where two or three Christians gather, Jesus said, I am among them. Jesus is present in Starbucks, and Jesus is present in Tim Hortons, and Jesus is present in Walmart, and Jesus is present all over the place, because Christians who are the literal temple of God keep binding together, and when they come together, the spirit of God is present like he used to be in the temple. That is great hope for a world that cannot find him. A guaranteed place of encountering God is when we gather together intentionally as community. Now, another guaranteed place of encounter is communion. Do I actually believe Jesus is in the elements? No, but nor in this church do we believe in what they call bare memorialism, that it's just remembrance and nothing else. If you come from a Christian tradition, not all of you do, but if you do, you may have called it communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. It's multifaceted. And do you remember in the last year I taught us a whole thing on this? I'll just give you a few. Is it remembrance? Of course it is. When we drink juice or if you come from a tradition where they use wine and when we take the bread, we're actually remembering 1 Corinthians 11.26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember, but see, it's more than remembrance. It's called communion for a reason communion think about what the word actually means communion means we commune we are together it is another environment where we are really with jesus and we're really with each other see we're not called to be alone it's not good for us to be alone and every time a church does communion whether it's very formal or informal jesus himself is hosting the meal for the church he loves It is in that environment that we declare and experience and know God's grace and his peace through Jesus and his spirit. Communion is one of the holy guaranteed places of encounter. The juice and bread are not Jesus. They don't turn into anything magically. They are only symbols that focus our attention. But let me declare this with authority this morning. I guarantee you though that every time you come forward to the table, Jesus is at that table to meet with you and to commune with you and to commune with us. That is why it is not just remembrance. It is communion. And I don't know if you remember when we really thought through communion as a whole community in an in-depth way. But I also said these words too. It is a place of forgiveness. Do you remember when I said, you know, what Jesus was famous for when he was here? Is he loved eating. He was a foodie. He was always eating with people 24-7. But the problem was he was eating with the wrong type of people, right? All the pastors of the day saying, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes? And why why are you hanging out with all the people God doesn't like? And do you remember what I said? Aren't you glad that Jesus keeps having meals with sinners? That every single time we come to the communion table, Jesus chooses to what? Eat with sinners again and again and again. And he reminds us broken, falling, failing people that his mercies are actually new every morning. And what he said on the cross, it is finished. He actually meant it for us. Matthew, remember 26? Hear this with fresh eyes. Then he took a cup, and when he gave it, thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Communion is a guaranteed place of encounter. It's where we remember. It's where we commune. It's where Jesus hosts the meal with sinners like us. Oh, and it's covenantal. It's where we renew our vows, our wedding vows to God. It's where we come to the table and say, "You've been loyal to me, I'll be loyal to you." It's where we say, actually, "You're Lord and Savior, and I'll never have an affair on you with another God or another worldview, because actually I'm given fully to you and you alone. You ever seen someone like redo their vows like 10 years, 20 years later, and they always go to somewhere hot, right? And it would be very strange if there was a redoing of the vows and only one spouse showed up when you consider that? Well, that would be the end. That would be a different thing taking place lawyers would show up in a different direction. And what we need to recover is this, whether you feel it or not, whether you intellectually fully grasp it or not, every time we take communion, Jesus is there and we are with him and we are renewing vows to the lover of our souls and the king of our life and we do it with absolute joy. It is a guaranteed place of encounter with Jesus on this side of heaven. Another guaranteed place is what we're gonna see today. It's baptism. Water baptism is a guaranteed place of encounter between us and God. Oh, do we believe that when someone walks into a tank, suddenly they're zapped by the Holy Spirit in that moment? No. Do we believe that water baptism makes you a Christian? Absolutely not. But we actually do believe Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is very close and present every time someone goes public with their faith baptism doesn't make you a christian baptism by the way is actually a declaration you already are a christian here's the image we use time and time again especially if you're new here this morning think about baptism like a wedding ring this doesn't make me married i've already said my vows and i've committed to my wife this is the outside symbol the external symbol of an inward decision i'm already married to my wife this is saying to the world i am unavailable ladies because i've picked my one and my only one that's what baptism means Baptism is the outward declaration of loyalty and covenant and community and trust. Baptism, of course, is at the core of our faith. Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, this is Jesus speaking, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christian baptism is a way you demonstrate your faith in Jesus. It's a way you declare that Jesus already is your Savior and Lord. And the water baptism symbol is beautiful. It is actually when you go down into water, it's saying, I'm giving up my old life, and I'm being resurrected into a new life that has Jesus in charge. It's a symbol of being clean. It's actually a way of pointing to spirit baptism that happens when you're saved. But actually, it's a more profound thing than that. It is also a public declaration of the foundation of our faith. That we believe that 2,000 years ago Jesus died... Not metaphorically, not recessi- he died three days dead in a tomb, and then three days later he physically rose from the dead, demonstrating that everything he claimed was true. And every time someone is baptized, they are declaring, not only do they give allegiance to Jesus and hope for salvation through his work, they are declaring that actually they believe that Jesus physically died and physically rose from the dead, and as Jesus died and rose from the dead, so they one day, because of the mercy of Jesus, they will be raised from the dead, and it is a public declaration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you have all these amazing guaranteed places of encounter with God in our normal rhythm of Christian life. But there's one last one that I mentioned a few weeks ago that I would be remiss if I did not also bring up today. The last guaranteed place of encounter in the Scriptures is suffering for the sake of the good news of Jesus. We currently, as I've preached to you before... We seem to be living between two huge, massive guerrillas that are fighting each other around the world. On one hand, we have a very militant, secular, and sexual revolution touching all parts of our society that we're living in the epicenter of at this moment. On the other hand, globally, we have the rise of dangerous fundamentalism in the name of God where people are being murdered and killed. And the kicker is this, that both groups think that we as Christians are compromised and we're with the other group. The sexual revolution, because we have a traditional view on marriage, calls us hateful and backwards and medieval and unloving. While at the exact same time, religious fundamentalists around the world call Christians compromised, untruthful, and secular. And in the middle, we stand with Jesus and the scriptures, and we call for grace, oh, and at the same time, truth, and we point to life, and we reject legalism, and we say no to hate, and at the same time, we say no to violence. Well, at the same time, we say, no, you cannot live any way you want because God is creator, and he has the last say on things. Make no mistake. If you are a biblical, small-o orthodox, I mean historic Christian Christian, We are caught in the middle of two massive global revolutions, both loudly claiming that they have the answers, and we are standing in the middle of these two massive gorillas and we're humbly saying, actually, you've all got it wrong. And as much as we dislike the comfort, we are exactly where God wants us to be. Now, for many of us who are living here in the West, our very comfortable, safe, middle-class privileges are being pushed and threatened and maybe even removed. And yet this is going to begin to provide the very environment to walk with Jesus like so many have before. It's an old road. It's a well-worn path, which actually in everything in us wants to avoid, but it is a guaranteed place of encounter and transformation. The narrow path becomes a place of authentic walking with Jesus, who is rightly called in the scriptures, the man of sorrows, who still at the same time is the conquering Lord of all. As I said to you a few weeks ago, and let me read them again, let me read what Peter wrote near the end of his life. 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leave an example that you should follow in his footsteps. What he basically says here is that suffering for the gospel, remember I said this a few weeks ago, not suffering for suffering's sake, you don't go looking for a fight, nor if you do something wrong, you go, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, if you stole something, you're going to jail. That has nothing to do with Jesus. But if you're suffering for the sake of living the truth of the gospel or standing for the truths of the gospel, Peter says that's actually part of a normal Christian life. Jesus' half-brother James said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. And what shocked me most a few years ago, and I've shared this many times with you, is actually reading the some of the last words of Paul in Philippians, who probably was in his, I don't know, 60s or 70s maybe, who had once murdered us and hunted us, who'd met Jesus, who had written two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches, had gone through horrific beatings and and shipwrecks, and at the end of his life, he utters these shocking words in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. You're like, oh my goodness, what do you mean you want to know Christ? He says, yeah, I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, and oh, I want to participate willingly in his sufferings. What? Oh, I want to become like him in his death so somehow I can attain the resurrection from the dead. Suffering is not like this tearfully enduring thing. It's part of our calling, and where there is genuine suffering for Jesus, not because you're obnoxious, when there's genuine suffering for Jesus, it is always a guaranteed place of encounter between Jesus and his people. The gospel, the scriptures, spiritual disciplines, spiritual gifts and worship and communion and baptism and suffering for Christ are all guaranteed places of encountering the God that we all sing to and love if you're a Christian. As I, as I have shared consistently, salvation is never earned by any of these things. They strengthen, they give space for the Holy Spirit to do things in our own personal life and in our communal life. And, and never forget this though the power, and by the way, if you're sort of getting bored, I'd love you to listen at this moment. The power and the person that you always meet in the guaranteed places can be grieved if you live a life that is not in conformity with what he asks. So in other words, so many of us show up as Christians and say, but why do I never experience him And one of the great questions we need to ask is the guaranteed places of power are not lies. They are not oversold experiences. They're not false advertising. Actually, the Bible says the Spirit of God will be at every single one of those places every single time we come. But Paul writes this in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Don't live in a way that contradicts what you already are and what you actually, we will be forever. Don't push down or attack or cause pain or ignore God's spirit who keeps trying to meet you in the environments he's provided for you. See, when we grieve the spirit of God, the gifts don't disappear, but they dim. When we grieve the spirit of God, the spiritual practices become powerless to transform because we walk into the environment, but we actually don't want to talk to the one we've gone to meet. And never forget, as we've learned all this year, the Holy Spirit is the one that introduces us to God the Father. He's the one who convicted us of sin. He's the one who let us see Jesus. He's the one who makes us like Jesus. He gives us the ability to accept Jesus. He allows us to walk like Jesus. He actually lets us understand and desire and be molded by the scriptures. And every time you meet the Spirit, you meet Jesus. And every time you meet Jesus, you meet the Father. He's the one who actually pointed us to Christ, baptized us into Christ. He teaches us, seals us. The Spirit prays for us. That's why I said this year, the Holy Spirit is not some Star Wars force. He is God. God, but don't grieve him, for he's the only one you'll ever meet in the place of encounter. So when you see these, number one, here's what I'm, I'm trying to teach you, and it matters. I want everyone to realize that there are guaranteed places to meet the God that you love, guaranteed, 100%. But we must ask, is my life grieving the one I want to meet? Now, here's the second thing that really matters. I want everyone to have right expectations when they walk into the environment. Lots of us have these expectations. We don't know where they've come from, but they're present. So we think, if I walk into the environment, I'm going to speak in tongues, roll on the ground. Gabriel's going to show up, fire from heaven every single time. And if that's your expectation and it doesn't happen, then you go, what did I do wrong? Others you are like, I've never had any of that. Is something, am I deficient? Am I like the third-class Christian? No. What we need to understand is this. This is more like going to the gym or learning something over a lifetime. The more you sit in these environments over a lifetime, the more you practice something, don't they say it takes 10,000 times to do something with excellence? The more you sit in these environments over your lifetime, you will see the profound changes that take place. Sometimes you get zapped. Sometimes unique things happen. Most times they do not. But what we do as Christians is we come with faith Knowing that God is not a liar and what he promises is true, so if I walk into that environment, he shall be found. He will be found. Now, here's why I want to share this as we go to a baptism. Your summers, when you're lounging at a cottage or on the move, actually, forget the summer, in your normal Christian life, in the rhythm of the insanity of living in the GTA, have you ever sat down and said, I know God is found here? And have you ever said, I will make sure that these are a priority because if I make these a priority, even in part, I will actually find him more than I'm finding him now. God's invitation for us is guaranteed encounter. And so as you think over the summer, all I'm going to ask you to do is go, do I even believe it's guaranteed? In the fall, when we launch all this stuff, when we launch the huge Alpha thing and we send a team to Bangladesh and then we're going to launch East in the winter, the other thing I didn't talk about last week is we're going to be launching a new discipleship path. And what you will discover in the fall is this, that we have designed this based on the idea that there is guaranteed encounters in everything we're going to lead the church into. Now, we have been in a place of encounter this morning. And we're going to continue in a place of encounter. So in the north right now, we're really excited. Joel, you can take uh, over now in the north. We're going to have five or six baptisms. Let's cheer for all the people who are about to be baptized in the north. We're so excited for you. It's amazing. God bless you. And at this moment, we are going to also participate in a guaranteed place of encounter we 've done it through worship we 've done it because we 've heard the Word of God, but now we 're going to do it through baptism and so uh, you may not know this here, but in our community, <coughs> we take baptism very seriously and with great joy, we give every person what do we do here? a standing ovation because it 's more important than any sporting event or anything else. and today we just get to hear the great work of Christ in some people 's lives and celebrate with them so. So let's uh, prepare ourselves to encounter Christ through the stories and the people who are about to say yes. Are you excited this morning for this? Great. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.